Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the first week of our 2024 winter season, and we're picking back up with our study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd also like to dive into other studies from our archive, you can search our entire library at thevillagechapel.com resources. We pray these studies will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So here we go again, one of those occasions where people come up to Jesus with questions, hoping to stump him with some conundrum, hoping maybe that they could ask a question and his answer will discredit him somehow publicly. And this is exactly what's happening in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Getting up, he, Jesus, went from there to the region of Judea. So he's been up in Galilee in the northern third of Israel. Now he's going to head toward Jerusalem. He's going to lay down his life on the cross. Along the way, though, he stops uh, in Judea over on the eastern side of things, and he goes beyond the Jordan, verse 1 of Mark 10 tells us. So the Jordan River would have been, remember, where John the Baptist did all of that preaching, and, and thousands literally came out to hear John the Baptist preach. Um, obviously before John the Baptist was put to death by uh, Herod Antipas. But thousands uh, baptized by John the Baptist there in the Jordan River, down in that area, down near the wilderness. Um, Jesus himself baptized by John the Baptist right before Jesus went out into the wilderness himself for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil. So Jesus goes back to that same area, and a, uh, a, a lot of people, a large crowd, gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him. And they began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And so the Pharisees, as you'll remember, were the more legalistic uh, of the religious groups on the ground at the time. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, uh, several different groups that had different um, uh, sort of focus or foci, if you would prefer the the plural. And the Pharisees were the experts in the law and rule followers, okay? And they come up and they want to test Jesus. So, so their goal is to find him, catch him up in a question and perhaps discredit him. He answered them when their question is, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife? He answered them and said to them, what did Moses command you? I love the way Jesus answers questions with questions so often. And uh, that way he gets the people he's talking to, he gets them to think a little more. And he gets us to think a little more too. And uh, reading uh, Jesus' answer on this particular subject, which is an important one even in our own day and time, um, I find myself wanting to sit up straight and listen to what Jesus had to say and how he responds to their questions. Well, they as Jesus uh, tells them, go back to the law that you're, you're supposedly experts in. What did Moses command you? And their answer was Moses permitted, rather, a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
in the house, Mark says, the disciples began questioning him, meaning Jesus, about this again. And now he addresses the disciples. And he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And the idea there, as he's describing it, is that people are um, sort of uh, taking a very casual approach to their what should be a very committed relationship. And they're basically leaving one person for another person. And he said, that's adultery. Your heart is given to another when your heart has been promised. Your your, uh, loyalty, your faithfulness has been promised uh, to another that you had already married. And now you just want to bounce around like that. And back in Moses' time, of course, with the Uh, what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 24 there in terms of what Moses says about divorce and about giving a certificate of divorce, really all designed to protect the vulnerable uh, member of the the dissolving marriage, the the woman, Uh, because in that day and time, uh, the women would have indeed been quite vulnerable and needed that kind of protection. And so Moses Uh, did that, Jesus said it's in verse 5 of Mark 10, because of their hardness of heart, the people's hardness of heart. And they they just became uh, sort of flippant about uh, their relationships. Matter of fact, um, one all, all you have to do is just a little bit of Google searching on um, uh, some of the ancient rabbis and their teachings and uh, on the Old Testament law concerning divorce and remarriage. And whether you're talking about Rabbi Shammai, Hillel, Aqaba, there's a, a bunch of different um, ways of interpreting and applying what you what or what they would read in the Torah and how they would apply it. And uh, some of them would say uh, because Deuteronomy 24 mentions if a husband sees some indecency in his wife, and uh, they would then uh, interpret that in so many different ways um, if he if he finds her unpleasing to his eye and he just sees somebody else who's, you know, there's that, that, which is quite a flippant way of looking at the relationship. Uh, One of the rabbis even goes so far as to say, if the, you know, if the, if the food that's being cooked in the household is just burned, that's just cause for divorce. So you can see how um, uh, Jesus as he's responding to their questions about divorce, turns the whole thing around. And what he wants to do is talk about marriage. And I really like the way Jesus uh, uh, responds to them. Uh, What did Jesus have to say about marriage here in his answers? Well, I think he says at least four things. Number one, he pushes all the way back to Genesis. And he says, essentially, as he begins to frame the response, he says, it goes back to Genesis and, and that marriage is a divine creation design. That is God designed marriage. Now, I know in our own day and time, um, uh, everybody thinks it belongs to us or to the state or to this particular contemporary um, uh, set of values or whatever it might be. Uh, From a biblical standpoint, we see it as something God created, God designed and created. And so because of our uh, deeply held religious convictions, we look at marriage a bit differently than our own modern culture or postmodern culture does. Um, we would agree with Jesus on this. We're Christians, and so Christ 
is the one who sets the pace. We, uh, we follow him. He's our good shepherd. He's also our teacher. He's also our king. And we bow before him in all things, including our interpretation of something uh, as precious and intimate and beautiful and powerful as marriage. And so Jesus says it is indeed a divine creation design. He says it's a complementary union. He talks about male and female. Uh, and that is um, uh, sort of the ultimate and comprehensive way of saying uh, these are complementary um, uh, this is a complementary union. These are people that complete one another. They're not the same. They're different. And um, it's, it's uh, an amazing unity that has a diversity, and it's physically illustrated in the, in the sexual union itself and its complementarity. And so it's affirmed as right here by Jesus as one male, one female, four live, because three, Jesus says it's a covenant promise. Um, um, you leave and you cleave. You leave your parents. You cleave to your uh, spouse. And there is this covenant promise, this one flesh sort of commitment to each other where two become one. And that's uh, really a beautiful thing. And fourthly, I think Jesus is saying it's a, a sacred union when he says what God has joined together. Let no man, no human being separate. And uh, so a sacred union that is with Jesus at the center. And that's not just about, um, uh, you know, sort of thinking religiously all the time, that sort of thing. But it's with Jesus at the center means with his glory in mind. That is, our marriages are to be about the glory of Jesus, the glory of Christ. It's one of the reasons the Apostle Paul used um, the the human marriage relationship as a, a, as a way of talking about the way Christ loves the church, that Christ the groom loves his bride, the church, and that Christ the groom lays down his life for the bride. And that's what uh, the Apostle Paul calls husbands to do for their wives as well. Feelings come and go for all of us. Um, and indeed, uh, marriages can get quite complicated. I know that after you know being a pastor for uh, over 20 years. Um, uh, I'm also a married person myself. And I can tell you that marriage is a lot of work, especially for my wife wife because she has to be married to me. And so I thank God every single day um, that she still says I do every single day and that she still uh, it remains committed uh, to me. Love is a covenant commitment. Uh, it goes way beyond feelings, and that's what Jesus is saying here. And let's don't be flippant about it, where you're just leaving one person to go try another one else, try another one else. And the whole idea is that Jesus and, and the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible loves faithfulness. So if you come and you want to make it all about divorce like these Pharisees did, he's going to answer you with something that's actually more important than what's permitted. But what does it look like to be committed? And so there's the answer is, is he, Jesus loves faithfulness in our relationships. Dry spells will come and go, um, but over time the dry spells will become less frequent and less dry. And all along the way, your feelings uh, will find the steady calm that the fruit of faithfulness 
and trust, the trusting of Jesus at the center, that you, you know that when your feelings have run out, if you just in, walk in obedience and trusting faithfulness to the Lord first and to your spouse, or if it's not, if we're not talking about a, a marriage relationship, we're talking about perhaps a friendship. Um, if you want to be faithful in your friendships as well, and this, uh, some of these principles can apply in a lot of different levels, a lot of different kinds of relationships. You know, if the Pharisees are coming and asking a question about how to break up relationships, Jesus is going to answer and say, here's how you hold relationships together. You see that God designed relationships. And uh, indeed, he designed the marriage relationship, but he also designed all relationships because when the, if you go back to the creation design, you find uh, that, that God said when he created man and woman, when he created humanity, he said, God says, let us make them in our own image. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all present at the creation event. We know that from reading Genesis 1 and John's Gospel, both of which, uh, chapter 1, both of which begin with in the beginning, uh, you know, at the very top of their uh, of, of each ch- uh, chapter one in each of those two books, it's really powerful to start to see what God loves in relationships is faithfulness. Um, so this, you know, the way that we've sort of come into this culture of disposable relationships um, isn't new. It was happening back then, and that's why the Pharisees come with this question, thinking they could trip Jesus up. It was happening back in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So, so you know, here we are now in our day and time, Jesus, 2,000 years before us. Um, Moses, who's writing Deuteronomy, or who's, yeah, who's, who's writing back all the way back in Deuteronomy 24, talking about what happened during the Exodus and, and the, the uh, years uh, leading up to it and following it immediately. Uh, that's yet another 1,500 years or so before the time of Jesus. So we have really, you know, the same kind of human problem throughout uh, the history of humanity, relationship issues. And you can go back even further all the way to the first family, um, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, you did it. No, it's your fault. No, you did it. You know, kind of blaming the other one from, from the garden. And uh, of course, Cain and Abel and the violence that that sort of seeped in uh, as a result of, of their sinfulness as well. So let's remember in our relationships, a divine creation design, a complementary union, um, give and take in the relationships, okay? A covenant promise, a sacred union, um, and that we, we want to avoid hardness of heart, uh, which I would, I would say is our inability to tune our heart to God's will, God's ways, God's wisdom, God's plans and purposes. That's what it means to have hardness of heart. Do you have hardness in your heart? Um, your heart, and it's pretty easy to tell if you do or not. You might be holding somebody in contempt. Uh, you might be thinking of someone as the repugnant other. Could be somebody in the public eye. Could be somebody a political figure. Could be your spouse. Could be one of your friends. Could be one of your coworkers. Um, and especially in this particular chapter, if it's your spouse, um, we want to get that checked. We want to turn that over to the Lord. Uh, and if it's a sacred union, the good news is when we run out of feelings, when we run out of the feeling of love or even like toward somebody, 
we go to the Lord, we turn to the scriptures, just like Jesus turned these Pharisees back to the scriptures. That's where you're going to find the solutions, the answers, and the way to manage the questions that we all have. Tim Keller, in The Meaning of Marriage, great book, by the way. I encourage all of our um, engaged couples that come to the Village Chapel, as well as couples who've been married for a while and who just would like to have a little bit of a tune-up in their marriage. Uh, Tim Keller said in The Meaning of Marriage, the Bible sees God as the supreme good, not the individual or the family. And that gives us a view of marriage that intimately unites feelings and duty, passion and promise. And that is because at the heart of the biblical idea of marriage is the covenant, the promise. See, um, God's view of all of this is that relationships work best and flourish most in the context of promises made and promises kept. And your relationship with other people will work best and flourish most when you make promises and keep your promises, when they make promises and keep their promises. Now, you have no control over somebody else. The only person you have control over is you. So contribute more, um, more light than heat. Um, ask questions. Don't make accusations. Don't assume you know everything there is to know about what's going on in the other person's heart and mind and what their motives might be. Um, but ultimately, from this passage, I would take for all of us, I would say this. Uh, I'd ask this question. Do, do we want to live our lives constantly on the margins of just what's permitted or do we want to live our lives with Christ at the center where we're committed to God's glory and to our neighbor's highest good or our spouse's highest good, whatever the relationship might be? you want to just live in what's permitted or do you want to live uh, a life that is committed, committed to loving others, to loving God first, and to loving others as well. I'll close with this quote from Eugene Peterson, and I'm going to pray for all of us and all of our relationships. Peterson said that, that wise sage and pastor Eugene Peterson, gone home to glory now, but um, he once said, if we don't have a sense of the primacy or the primacy of God, we will never get it right, get life right, get our lives right. Not God at the margins, not God as an option, not God on the weekends, but God at the center and the circumference. God first and last. That's right. So when we keep Christ first, when he's at the center Realizing it's a sacred union that you married into if you're married. Uh, realizing that all of our relationships can be um, laid at, uh, presented to the Lord, laid at his feet. And we can have Jesus at the center in all of our relationships. And as Peterson said as well, all the way around the, the, the circumference as well. God first and God last so that really from beginning to end, it's about his glory and the highest good of our neighbor, which could be our spouse, could be our coworker. 
Let me pray. Lord, thank you for each and every person that's joined me today on this uh, podcast. So grateful um, that you created us for relationships. So grateful that you uh, equip us, you teach us, you inform us, you inspire us, you encourage us. And as we look at this passage here in Mark chapter 10, I pray for all of those folk who are married or they're considering marriage. I pray, Lord, that they would indeed see it as something you've designed and something uh, that can bring you glory and honor. You've designed it to work a certain way, uh, Lord, that it's a covenant promise, a covenant relationship. And Lord, help us learn to put you at the center in our marriages. Um, Lord, for all those folk who are uh, unmarried and are not married or not thinking about getting married, uh, I pray for them in all of their relationships uh, as well, that their friendships would honor you, honor your name, uh, that their friendships would, would flourish, um, that they would learn what it means to love each other well. And I pray that the church uh, would be a beacon of light in this world that is so darkened by the culture of disposable relationships. Lord, that we wouldn't treat relationships flippantly, but that we, um, like you, we would love faithfulness in our relationships, that we would love kindness, generosity, um, that we would be gracious in our relationships, that we'd be eager to forgive, that, Lord, we wouldn't be looking to find fault, that we wouldn't be taking offense at every single little turn, uh, uh, that, Lord, we would learn how to love one another well for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray that. Amen and amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At The Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.